the Metallic Taste podcast, a journey through cancer. Find us online, metallictaste.com, or on Instagram and TikTok. We hope you enjoy this episode. Welcome to the second episode of the Metallic Taste podcast. In the first episode, we covered Rich's diagnosis. And in this episode, we're going to cover off treatment and, in general, how it's all progressed to date. So welcome back, Rich. How are you doing? Hello again. Yeah, not too bad. I've had a nice four-week break. So uh, just enjoying... Well, actually, this is the last day before my next session, but yeah, just trying to enjoy it, really. Good. So back on the chemotherapy tomorrow? Tomorrow, yes, um, which I guess we'll cover more a bit later, but yeah. Yeah, good, um, which is why we're doing the episode today. Uh, exactly, yeah. As that tends to, to wipe you out for a little bit, which you're going to talk about in detail. So let's yep. just recap for the listeners you got the diagnosis of cancer from yep. the colonel, as we call him. Yes, the, top... the colonel, yeah, top colonel, yeah. The top colonel. Oh, well, um, not quite top, as I'll find out later. Okay. Um, Spoiler alert. Yeah, so... <laughs> so, yeah. so let, let's just go into that. So you, you're sat there in the hospital. They've got all the paperwork yep. in front of you, and mm-hmm. you're suddenly told after a long period of time of not really knowing what's wrong and having all sorts of different people look at you, scan you, prod you, poke you. Exactly. And finally, he sat down with you and he says, look, we found a cancerous tumour in the bowel. Yeah. And it starts to make sense as to what happened to the appendix and why that ultimately... Yeah, he explains sort of more about what's happened why something has happened uh and then yeah just goes on to then start saying what we're now gonna plan to do right so at the point that you were told that you have a cancerous tumor in your body what went through your mind at that time because this this is probably every person's worst nightmare yeah and Unfortunately, a lot of people at some point in their life are going to be in this situation. What yes. went through your head at the time that that, that came out? Um, so you get the initial sort of shock through your body first. Um, you know, that kind of beating of the heart and uh, that sort of f- b- uh, flow of blood just rushing through your body. Um, so palpitations just... just... yeah. A sheer kind of just anxious feeling yeah um but he was very good he just continued on with the the uh consultation uh and just kept everything flowing so i didn't really have time to think to think just that point yeah for your mind just to Um, wander off and exactly yeah think the worst Um, so he He's obviously a professional experience yeah, at exactly, doing this, yeah. you know, unfortunately, yeah. day in, day out. So were you able to actually retain any of the information at that, at that point? Because I know, you know, me, my head would have just been off to all sorts of places. And yeah, I mean, probably, you know, like you see in the movies, when something yeah. happens, it all goes into slow motion and people's That's... voices sound echoey and nothing goes yeah. in. Yeah. And then you get some 3D uh, CGI graphics. Yeah. Um, yeah, it's um, it, it's like a pinball in your head, pinball machine. Right. Um, your thoughts are just bouncing and going all over the place. But that was more after, actually, when when we'd finished. Um, he'd kind of brought me back down to earth very quickly with uh, it, during the consultation. So he just continued on to say what the plan is um and he sort of went on to explain that he was going to do this right but because of how complex it had started to become he needed somebody uh with more specialists uh tools uh and experience to 
do the actual surgery. So he initially thought he was going to do it. And that's why yeah. he brought me in. But then kind of a very last minute thing, he had to say, it's not actually going to be me. Um, he's going to have to refer it to the next level up. So, so he, the Colonel was planning on mm. just removing that tumor from, from your bowel. Yes. I think, I think it's because it had now spread to yeah. the liver. Uh, this made it more too complicated for him. Um, so, um, he went on to sort of explain, he still thought the same thing would happen. So what he was going to do, he thought the next, uh, the more experienced, uh, surgeon would do. Um, and that has largely been correct. I have tumors in the bladder as well. However, they're not cancerous, thankfully. Um, so now for some graphic detail, just so if anyone wants to detune, um, I have a fistula, which is where the bowel and the bladder effectively fuse together as one. Right. And that's bad, I presume. That's pretty bad, but actually surprisingly common even outside of cancer. So... Uh, okay. as I learned later on, but, <clears throat> and it's not, it's not like, uh, it's almost like a joining of the two. So it's not like the bladder has now turned into the bowel or anything. There's just a, uh, almost a bridge has been created between the two. Okay. Um, so you're at risk of some, uh, stuff from the bowel going into the bladder but that thankfully hasn't happened with me yet right is this is this kind of fusion of the two is that related to the fact that you you were dehydrating a lot and and struggling to probably and also yeah when the blood that was actually yeah the blood was being caused by that uh, as they were fusing together so they Um, they obviously turned you inside out and they found lots of stuff at this point. So yeah. it's, it started off with, we, we found a cancer in the bowel and then mm-hmm. it, it, it goes into actually further detail where they found tumors on your bladder that are benign, nothing to worry about. Yeah. And they found some, some, some bits and pieces on the liver. Yeah. Although at this point they were, the liver was suspect. Right. Um, so later on, I go for ultrasounds and further scans. Yeah. So uh, just getting through to the end of speaking with the colonel, then he sort of said that he's now going to pass it on to his the the team above, basically the the more specialist unit. Um, and he knew this guy in this hospital B, I suppose we'll call it. Yeah. Um, and then, because at that point he didn't he didn't actually know about the bladder. Okay. I then told him that I'd been experiencing all this, and could he do something about that with a urologist? There and then, he actually re-looked at some of the previous CT scans I'd had, looked in that area, and sort of thought, ah, "Okay, I can see something going on," and this is what is possibly happening, uh, which is the fistula. Yeah. And that he's now going to refer me to a urologist. So this is another, this is another key point then, Rich. So Mm. he he was obviously giving you a lot of information, but also you were telling him about how you were feeling and further discomfort in different areas. Exactly. Could he look, yeah. look a bit more into that? Because I, I guess potentially if you hadn't raised that, that could also be missed or not come well, out yeah, until a later date. Exactly. Because the, when I was going into the uh, surgical assessment lot after I'd been in A&E, they were kind of dismissing it in a way or just not really acknowledging it as something serious. They just kept thinking that it would just pass and that it was caused by something else. Uh, so, yeah, it yeah. was definitely needed to be raised, and he was sure. definitely the right man to do it. Because he, he, the moment I left, 
well, sorry, but by the time I'd got home that day, a urologist had already rung me. So he'd literally done what he said he would. He'd uh, escalated it straight yeah. away. Yeah. So, so already I was being booked in for a, I uh, uh, think, was that, I can't remember if I did a, a no, no, I definitely, it was for the cystology. That's what they booked me in for straight away. Right. And cystology in a bit. Cystology is. So that is where they look. They have a camera that goes through your pee pee hole or whatever you want to call it. (laughs) (laughs) Is that is that the medical term? (laughs) Uh, (laughs) Okay. it will be for now. Uh, So basically it goes through the urethra. A camera is inserted. Yes. Yeah. So it's very similar to to a colonoscopy just obviously but the camera much is hole. much thinner yes uh, so yeah he booked that in Sounds uh, very quickly <laughs> yes that you can't go to sleep on Ooh. yeah i'm feeling so you don't even get, you don't even get right that now. option <laughs> um, okay so so he's he's giving you all this information yeah so pretty much I've got a fair bit to digest and after he told me what was likely to happen and that he's now referred me to the urologist that was pretty much it already by the time I get home on that day already things are starting to happen you know more scans more appointments etc and, and this, this is... is roughly mid-August yeah so I just want to get into that because you've been quite matter of fact about it. You told you got yeah. cancer. It sounds very complicated because they're looking in lots of different areas. Yeah. You sound very well looked after in the sense that the the colonel is is escalating bits and pieces to various specialists. Yep. At any point of that in that conversation, did he tell you or did you ask or was it obvious that this is life-threatening? Did that come up? Bizarrely, no. <laughs> I didn't even... I've not actually had anything official to say what stage I'm at. It's only because through Googling that I now uh, understand what the stages mean. But I, I, um, I've never actually had that confirmed. And also, although they've initially said it is bowel cancer, um, it may have actually... St- there is, it's still 50-50 as to whether it actually started in the appendix, moved to the bowel, or started in the bowel and potentially moved to the appendix. Okay. But they won't and, know that until I have a future operation. Right. So it didn't really come up in that conversation at all around how bad this really was. It was just, Other, it was I very mean, he just fact. said it was serious. That's all. Right. Okay. So, um, but yeah, I don't, I don't think he wanted me to dwell on that thought in any way. No, it was very no, much. Right. Let's move the conversation on. Uh, let's plan what we're going to do and f- forward thinking, which has been my mentality actually since that day to think forward, not, uh, dwell on anything or worry, worry. about the reasons. Yeah. Well, that, that's a, I mean, that is a fantastic mindset to have. Have you always yeah. been a, have you always been a positive forward thinker or no. is, it, <laughs> is it the fact that this is, this is so life changing <laughs> that, that yeah. you've just gone, I, I cannot sit here and be anxious because probably that is not going to help my recovery or exactly. you know, my, my situation. So I've just got to give it a positive mindset and just, yeah. you know, don't let your guard down with it. Actually, there is one I have. There's a video on, I think it's the BBC. It's nothing to do with health. It was to do with business. And something I've taken away from that is when he's, when that in, uh, person that was being interviewed said, employ people that are better than you. So my mindset has always been, they know what they're talking about. What's the point of arguing or disagreeing? And I've got hopefully a fair bit of common sense to kind of know whether they're talking 
whether they don't know what they're talking about, but at no point did I have I ever felt that. Um, they've always given me reasons why they're going to do something, uh, why they think this is that way or whatever. Um, yeah. So I've n- I've never had any reason to doubt anything they've said at all. Which bizarrely, I think they they're a bit they find it a bit weird that I never have any questions at the end, but they have really just been so descriptive and they've, they've just got on and moved forward with things so yeah they, they explain things so well and um you know we're we're both in the it profession and we've been doing mm. it for years yeah. and same way that you or i apply that to our jobs we tend to know the the the, the, the questions before they come up so we answer those yeah. in the initial conversations with our customers so i guess it's exactly the exactly. same for Yes, for these exactly. doctors and surgeons and and nurses and you know, the various yeah. um, technicians around them. So, okay, look, that's that's really positive. You've got a really positive mindset about it. Let's just yeah. go back to coming out of that hospital appointment, being told the news. Were you on your own? I was. Yeah, throughout all of this, I've been on my own. Um, that's mainly because it's just less of less organisation to get people because I don't live near or particularly close to many friends. Yeah. It's more than half an hour's drive and it just causes more chaos than it's worth. So um, I've I've just got on with it really, basically. Yeah. And also this is the height of the coronavirus pandemic. Uh, That is exactly that. Yeah. There's also that going on in the background. Um, So it's just 10 times easier to just go. (laughs) rather sure. than wait and yeah because the rules have never been particularly clear during covid no and i think um, hospitals are quite strict with yes. who who comes in and out i've heard stories yeah. from friends around you know wives in in labor and mm. actually preventing the husbands and partners being yeah. in the labor ward during the height of the pandemic so yeah not an ideal time, but actually, no. from what you're saying, the NHS have been amazing. They've rallied around you, got all the specialists involved, and things are getting followed up really quickly, various appointments and stuff. Yep. So that, that sounds great. A very different story to what we hear on Sky News when Sky News have said, <laughs> yeah. the NHS is on its knees, cancer patients aren't getting any care you know yeah. just really scary headlines that i sit there and think i can this is really the only good. thing i will say is i i live in an area where there's a lot of hospitals i'll say that i live in the sort of thames valley area um there's just so many hospitals around that they're able to split things up and really organize efficiently but there are some places where there is just that one hospital and they can't share uh i guess the treatments between other medical centers because they're just so far away um so it is going to be different up and down the country uh sure and i think i'm definitely in a lucky place that's for certain yeah Um, so i'll have to be slightly blessed for that well look that's good news um i'm I'm pleased to hear that so you, you come out of the hospital appointment obviously been given all this news i guess in a way they're they're in 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 a very odd way a slight Mm. bit of relief because you now know what's wrong with you because you've been yeah telling all these professionals i'm not right yeah just you're having all these issues exactly for for what's been a couple of months at least Mm. um so a light bit of relief maybe but also this dark cloud if you like that you're trying to keep yeah. at bay that's this is serious actually and i'm going to need need some some pretty serious treatment that's going to impact my life my work life my personal yeah, life what was the first who was the first person that you told i didn't actually tell anyone but initially <laughs> uh, okay. and that was simply because i was given more appointments so there was still things to be ironed out uh, with exact treatment Right. And also at this point, I didn't know that it was going to be referred to an oncologist. 
almost as soon as I'd left, I was already, the phone was ringing quite mentally over the next few days just for people booking in appointments uh, because the postal system would be too slow for all of this. So um, I got, yeah, I got um, a further CT scan. So I think this is about my fifth of that, of those at this point. Uh, But then a new a scan I'd not had before is an MRI scan and a, a PET scan. Off the top right. of my head, I can't really remember what the sort of differences are, but um, in all cases, you get a bit of liquid uh, put into your body. You, can, you this, ingest something that... Yeah, so through the up. cannula again, um, yeah. they inject... It's a dye um, so that the scans can pick up whatever they need to pick up. Um, but so yeah, I've basically got those scans happening all through August, early September. I can, at this point, I do not remember the order, but it doesn't really matter. But I believe after either the PET scan or the MRI scan, that triggered the oncologist because that's when they really did know about the liver. Um, okay. So I think most most people probably know what an MRI scan is. Mm. A pet a PET scan. I've actually heard I've heard a few people talking about this. No idea what it was, so I've just googled it on my phone whilst okay, I'm talking. Cool. So they're saying that a PET scan uses a radioactive drug, what they what they call the tracer. So that's what they must put into you to mm-hmm. show effectively activity within your tissues and organs and how they are functioning. So yeah. that would have been the ultimate test to, to look at, yes. look at your organs, I guess, and, and work out what's yeah. going on. Yes, that's right. And the pet one is, that's right. You get, it's actually the, the dye they put in is radioactive. So you actually yeah. have to stay away from children uh, afterwards. <laughs> yeah. That's just, wow. Obviously I don't serious. Kids, so, so that's not a problem, but yeah. Uh, you do need to stay away from people. And I think you might need to stay away from some electronics. I'm not sure, but. Um, Interesting. So it stands yeah. for um, it stands for positron emission tomography, if anyone's interested. And mm. there's lots of stuff on Google about it in pictures. But um, it looks it looks like a, a circular chamber again yes. um, that you're put yeah. into similar to the MRI. Yeah, um, it's yeah, they all look very similar between like the CT, MRI and PET scan. All the machines look very similar. And um, how long do these scans take? Quite a while actually. Um I believe around 45 minutes. It's a long time. Them. That includes every CT scan as well. Something I forgot to mention is that when I had my on uh, colonoscopy, she actually put a little tattoo uh, to mark where things were happening in there. Uh, so tattoo. that made it a lot. Yeah, a little tattoo. So I've wow. got my first tattoo, which is on the inside it, of my in, body. Inside your, inside your colon or wherever yeah. they put it in your bowel. Um, yeah, so the, the, this means that they know where to look and so the scans right. get quicker over time wow i've not heard of that that's that's pretty yeah. cool uh, so these scans this... th- these scans you you we you know we went into a bit of detail with a colonoscopy mm. but mm. The, the the scans the mri the pets you have to stay very still for those do you or yes so you, you have to stay very still on some of them you'll you get uh like something over your chest i can't really remember why but um you have to stay still and you have to hold your breath when they tell you to for about uh 30 seconds or so really okay that's good so people know what what to expect it's not like you can take a book in there and you know start start reading and you have to remove any so if if you are going for one don't wear jeans because that's got metal in the jeans, don't wear a belt, yeah. just go in simple tracksuit bottoms because there's no, yeah. typically no metal in there. So um, you'll have to remove okay. your shoes, but that's neither here nor there. 
Are you good with confined spaces? Because when I've just looked at pictures of these chambers you're uh, put into, they look pretty tight. Well, the ones I go into, they're open, so you can see ahead of you and behind. Oh. And actually, the more modern machines are very thin, so you're not your whole body isn't in there anymore. Just the section that they're looking at, oh, okay. feet sticking out the end type thing so yeah a lot of the older pictures they do predict they do uh depict a massive machine as though you're going into uh oblivion but it's you're not now um it's all open um and sometimes i actually have the radio on to make it more relaxed hopefully a station that you like some good music None yes i must admit None your brain trash. is so switched off that you don't really <laughs> you've got no idea what they're playing anyway yeah, no Metallica, but you know. Uh, no. <laughs> um, okay, so lots happening. You left the hospital. You didn't. You didn't really tell anyone, partly because you weren't quite sure There's, it was still a moving landscape. There was still a moving goalpost. Yeah. Um, Good. We, yeah, okay. th- yeah. There was no treatment plan set in stone at yeah. this point. Uh, yeah. So then I go for my histology as well again i can't i think this happens after all those scans i'm fairly certain it does Um, i think this was this was the point where you may have emailed me because we're we're pretty old school we send each other emails updates and pieces (laughs) i think you emailed me that stuff's moving pretty quickly not really sure what's going on from one day to the next Mm. And, um, you know, gave me, gave me, I think your dad's phone number just in case I didn't hear. So you, you were part, I think you were half expecting that you were going to potentially be rushed, rushed into surgery. Yeah. Um, that was the initial thought that the first thing would be surgery. Um, but I think that changed rapidly after those three scans that I had, which was the, another CT MRI and PET scan. Because I think it, one of those, either the MRI or the PET scan, alerted an oncologist. Um, So I started to get phone calls about an appointment with an oncologist. At this point, I didn't even know what an oncologist did, but I just accepted it anyway. Um, So I think they're specialists in, in cancer, aren't they, oncologists? They did, yes, exactly that. They, uh, well, more, I guess, more specifically, they determine what treatment you're going to have and the course and dosage, etc. Yeah. Um, so that's what their purpose is. And then you have obviously specialists, because obviously cancer can be anywhere basically in the body. So you have an mm. oncologist for liver or bowel or whatever. Um, I'm fairly certain mine is a liver specialist, and that because it, that's what triggered her to get in contact. Yeah, uh, was when they discovered or had full confirmation then of a liver problem. Okay, so you've seen lots happening from the point you left the hospital. You've seen lots of different specialists. You've seen, you know, all the greatest people within the NHS that can help you. That yeah. Our specialists deal with this day to day. So you're feeling assured, you're keeping that positive mindset. What at what point did you know the actual course of treatment, which we've kind of alluded to, you know, at this point was is chemotherapy with some potential surgery down the line. At what yeah. point did you know that? And also then when did you start to tell people what was going on, your your friends and family, etc.? But I'll just step back one bit because before just before I actually have the meeting with the oncologist, I have that uh, cystoscopy. Uh, right. Some of these words are really tongue teasing. <laughs> and this is uh, where they put the camera down the tube uh, yeah. to go into the bladder to see what on earth's going on. And that is extremely painful. This is an this is an audio only um, podcast, but I'm 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 literally my face is screwed yeah. up and I'm wincing at the thought of it. So carry on. Yeah, so um 
so I actually also in this uh, I don't know what you call it op uh, op it's not an operation but I suppose diagnosis but I also during this session see the video of what they're seeing and it, again oh. it's right in my face <laughs> so I got no real choice unless I close my eyes but I was what's down there while I was in a lot of pain I was also intrigued <laughs> Um, but I didn't really see anything in this. I couldn't make anything out. Um, mm. But he he very quickly determined what was happening. I think the whole uh, thing only lasted five to ten minutes. It didn't last long at all. But that's still a long time for a hell of a lot of pain. Um, and no sedation, nothing. No. Straight they down, gave, straight down they to have, business. Um, yeah, they do put some numbing gel, but that made <laughs> bugger all difference. So, uh, wow. Uh, okay. Yeah. So... When it, actually, when I after that, um, obviously I was in a lot of pain. Uh, obviously, the next time you go to urinate, there will be uh, blood and a hell of a lot of pain. And I actually, when I needed to go, um, I came close to fainting. Uh, they had to come and get me from the uh, toilet. So what was supposed to be a day sort of simple surgery and people were coming in and out as well. So uh, it didn't affect them as much as it did me. But yeah, they didn't want me to drive because I drove. I drove to this. Yeah. Uh, and they, they then said, we'll just call security and we'll cancel your parking charge and just tell them that your car's going to be there for a day or two because they wanted me to get a friend to take me home okay. uh, so yeah I stayed there for a couple of hours after having almost fainted uh, and just I just had to get get the fluids back in me because before cystology you can't have a full bladder so for four hours before you can't drink so obviously again right. I'm dehydrated here yeah well that sounds absolutely horrendous. Yeah, another another fun day. <laughs> but yeah, so I get home, blah, blah, blah. And we'll move on to now having an appointment with the oncologist. So this is yet another hospital that I'll be dealing with. Um, by this point, including all the scans, this is about the sixth or seventh hospital I've been to at this point. Um, so you can see how many things are spread around this area that I live in so yeah get to the oncologist meeting and in these meetings there's always a, a senior nurse as well um, right. so she's kind of making the notes uh, and then she does things before and after the in, uh, the consultation with the oncologist so checking your weight and things like that uh, so obviously during the oncologist consultation she makes it more real about the liver because at this stage it was all just suspect but the scans had confirmed it so but she also was able to confirm that these were cancerous so that then obviously adds to my tumours that I've got um, I mean she, she's rightly worried because the liver can spread things very very fast so that's why yeah, I've heard that. she needed mm. to get on top of it fast. I mean, it was probably two weeks after the scan I was having that meeting, so pretty quick. Right. In the scheme, and of what things. was what was the outcome of that? Was that that they could operate, and you're going to start chemo, well, or what? What was discussed? So she doesn't. She doesn't do any operation. Uh, she that's a totally different team so she doesn't have any say necessarily as to what would happen during uh, an actual surgery operation moment but between her and the surgeon they're constantly sending letters and notes and things so actually during all of this a lot happened in the background that you don't realize um, and I've seen the length to which they write notes down when I was meeting the colonel. Um, I mean, there was probably 
eight pages of detail there and that was just for one section so you can imagine how many pages I've probably got now uh, it's quite a lot um, but yeah she yeah. she tells me obviously more detail about the scans what she's found and then obviously what's now going to happen to be honest most of what she said I didn't really understand so she was explaining the type of chemotherapy I was going on to be honest I don't know anything about it, the chemotherapy to know exactly what I'm having anyway I'm not really clued up really on what she's telling me did, did you I guess you know mo most people know what what chemotherapy is as you alluded to there's lots of different types but yeah was there anything going through your head at that stage thinking oh I've got to have chemotherapy and I'm likely to lose my hair and you know what was going on in your head? Uh, I wasn't really too worried about that. I mean, she said uh, you can go with the cold cap, and I initially said yes to that. The plan was I was going to get a cold cap, but and what's that? So a cold cap is one of the reasons why you lose your hair is because obviously the blood flow has that chemotherapy in, so it um, then attacks the cells. This cold cap means that the chemotherapy doesn't work in that area as well so that's why it goes on top of your head and it keeps it cold while you're having the okay. treatment it does work because i've seen i've seen a few instagram posts and what have you but yeah um what it does mean is that i have to get to my chemotherapy sessions early earlier than normal because you have to sit you have to sit there for an hour whilst it cools your head down Okay. So this sort of machine attaches to your head and uh, cools you down. Um, and yeah, I, I'd sort of made up in my mind that I wasn't going to do it, but I decided to say yes anyway, so that I could still change my my mind later on so you and think about it. Exactly, yeah. yeah. It's just hair. It'll grow back, wouldn't it? Exactly, yeah. And even if it doesn't, I had an idea of just getting a tattoo on my head anyway but um <laughs> i still we, we still don't actually know what's going to happen there but the, the likelihood is that it would come back it would just take a long time so over yeah. a couple of years and it may okay. uh come back a different color or it may not come back to its full uh strength as it did before but I'm so you're you're normally dark haired but you could come yes. back ginger is that what you're saying <laughs> um i could <laughs> it's more likely going to be uh not even gray it will be a pure white so there will be absolutely no right. color pigment whatsoever okay we can uh, dye it but we can dye it yeah we can make it into a <laughs> punk or something <laughs> okay so you you were you were given you were bombarded with information about chemotherapy uh, yeah didn't yeah. really understand a lot of what was being said but the outcome no. is you go you're going on chemo. I'm doing it, yeah, basically. There was no reason to question anything again. Although I didn't understand I did afterwards start to text a friend of mine. And this is now when I actually tell the first person. because uh, now I've got a plan in place. We definitely know everything at this point. Yeah. Um so things are it's more about having facts now rather than presumptions so it's sure. easier to tell people so i told a friend and actually the same day uh i came and told my dad what the plan was because obviously things are now going to start happening within a couple of sort of two to three weeks of being told everything so that was the the plan was you were going to start chemo fairly yeah fairly quickly so, so this was you, towards you, the end of September and it was going to start. Yeah. With a view to the chemo would be stopping the spread, hopefully shrinking the tumours to a yeah. point yeah, where exactly. yeah. they would look to do surgery? Uh, yes. Yeah. So obviously at this point she's telling me surgery is now not going to happen at the beginning. Um, yeah. She'd spoken with the surgeon and they both agreed that they wanted shrinkage because any shrinkage makes it the operation easier. 
Yeah, so... absolutely. And they need to cut less of you out, really, in that in the yeah. sense, I, I presume. Uh, and this is obviously these are critical organs to you. So yeah, exactly. We're, yeah. we're going to we're going to cover off chemotherapy, the way it makes you feel, any tips and tricks in the third episode. And I think that's a good point to do it because we're yeah. recording this episode now on the 18th of February, but it's going to take a little bit of time for us to, to put it out. So the listeners, yeah. you're likely to be listening to this uh, next week, which is when you're going to be recovering from, from chemotherapy. You've got a big yeah. dose tomorrow. So it's going to be yeah. a good point to obviously record the third episode of the podcast and um, it, yeah. when it's fresh in your mind and you can obviously try and get as much of the experience of it all out recorded so yeah. that the, the listeners can really understand for those that haven't been through it. Let's just go back to something you said there. So you had all of the facts, you knew what the treatment mm-hmm. was, you start telling your friends and your dad. Let's talk about when you told your dad. Like, did he know stuff was going on? Did he know you've been in and out of hospital oh, appointments? Yeah, yeah. I mean, even from when going into uh a and E, they all. I've been telling them, but obviously at that point we only really thought it was appendicitis, so nothing to yeah. be particularly concerned about because obviously that's pretty well uh, experienced and documented. So sure, um, sure. So you spoke to him about what was happening, and you know, I'm presuming as a as a father, he was, you know, there was some some shocking news. He was upset, but. Is, is, yeah. Has he got a positive mindset as well? Yeah, definitely. Um, and I think because, yeah, it's not, unfortunately, not the first time for him to go through it. But, right. um, yeah, I think we were both just, let's get on with it. Let's get going. Um, get it done. We just planned. Yeah. yeah, we just planned. Obviously, it, annoyingly, we I'd sort of calculated that I'd be finished sort of April, May of this year, but uh, that's definitely not going to be the case. But uh, that was the initial plan. Uh, and yeah, we just thought, let's go. And and the it's not over because you've had longer chemo or what have the delays been to get you to the point of surgery? One is definitely COVID. Uh but that's outside of obviously anyone's or my control anyway. So it has then, had an impact. Oh yeah, because w- what we found out was that the surgery had been closed for two months. They couldn't do any surgery because the right. risk of getting uh, the survival risk of getting COVID during operations isn't good. So okay. it's put a backlog on them quite a big one as well uh right okay so there is actually truth so in what's one, being reported um yeah in, so that's you know, one reason yeah and then obviously to understand chemotherapy is effectively a poison uh that goes into your body to attack these uh cancerous cells but it's also unable to determine a good cell versus a cancerous cell so at the same time that it's killing cancerous cells, it's killing good cells. Uh, so what was happening when I was having blood tests, this demonstrated that my white blood cells were not high enough for the next session of chemo. So it would delay, generally speaking, by a week, uh, the, the session of chemo. So obviously if you add up however many weeks, that sort of slowly turns into... A month plus, yeah. Without really that's realizing out of, it, <clears throat> that's out of anyone's control. Really, it's just how your body responds. Exactly. And... Yes. Um, and obviously, next episode I'll go into more detail on that. But that's what was happening. Sure. Um, okay. So, just a positive a positive approach to what for some, and obviously you and your family, etc., is you know pretty pretty dark situation in the sense that yeah. um you know this is not a not a quick visit to the doctors and a pack of pills and no. you know you're <laughs> you're fixed so it's it's great you just maintain that positive mindset throughout and yeah as, as well it's it's been great that actually you're very matter of fact about it we're going into detail we're having this 
discussion we're recording obviously we're sharing this with the world mm. so what's just to conclude this episode i think it'd yeah. be great if the listeners just understand in in a nutshell what the plan is so the chemo and then the surgery which you now know a little bit more about what that involves yeah so the oncologist put me on a total of 12 sessions of chemo and the well obviously the original idea was that that would be two weeks apart um but my bloods obviously said otherwise although the first two i did get in pretty quick but um after that just delay after delay but um and then moving forward to the halfway point had some further scans which have been reviewed and that's been reviewed by the surgeon as well so that is likely to happen uh end of march beginning of april so not that far away um, and when they check the progress of the chemo i think mm. you mentioned when we were we were not recording that actually it's had a yeah. positive impact it's slowed yeah. the growth and and even maybe reduced some of those tumors yep so there's definitely been no growth there's also been no spread and okay the ones I've got have shrunk. So well, that's great uh, news. it's a good outlook at the moment, yeah, uh, which is what they wanted. So that's why surgery is now going ahead. Um, okay, so let's let's talk about the surgery. What what are they actually doing? The obvious is they're, they're, they're taking these tumours out, but they're actually in very difficult to reach places. Yes. And what, what does so... that look like in terms of aftercare as well? So with the bowel and the appendix area, that's going to be fully removed. Um, so that's on the right-hand side of our bodies. And that will be, yeah, quite a big section will be removed there, actually. Um, of the bowel. Of the bowel with the appendix, yeah. That whole area is going. Yeah. They'll clean up yeah. that area and they'll actually put a localised chemotherapy in there. Um, okay. I don't really quite know how they're going to do that. I don't know. I don't know whether they just put it on like a suntan lotion or whether they inject it. I'm not quite sure, but okay. um, it's only fo it's focused in that area. Um, I've got visions of someone in the operating theatre <laughs> suntan lotion now. Yeah, yeah. thanks. <laughs> um, and then he'll also at the same time disconnect the bridge between the bowel and the bladder. Uh, and that will, yeah, that will, that's called a resection, I believe. Uh, okay. And then moving to the liver, um, they'll cut out both tumours, which are quite far apart, actually, when you look at it on the images. Obviously, in reality, they're not, but on the images they yeah. are far apart when you're just looking at that organ uh in detail but the liver's one of those unusual organs that will regenerate and regrow right. so losing it losing bits of it isn't actually actually that much of a concern yeah um, yeah i've heard it can repair itself um yeah so that's pretty that's pretty intrusive surgery what's the yeah you know what's the time you're expecting to spend in hospital recovery time um so the well the know. actual i'll be he's estimating the surgery will take anywhere between eight to ten hours um that's not actually the longest it could have gone for um it could have been a 12 to 14 hour process wow but because of the shrinkage, day. yeah, because of the shrinkage, that's actually, you know, cut the time down. Uh, originally, it was going to be a full week in intensive care, but he's he wants to only have me in intensive care for two days now, and I'll then see a physiotherapist uh, on day three. Right. Uh, so that. That what the reason is they want to get me up sooner rather than later because the whole uh recovery process is shortened and it's really a benefit to you 
uh, on a personal level. Um, yeah. And then after intensive care, it could be anywhere between two to four weeks. Again, he's trying to, he wants to get me out as soon as possible. Um, so he's going to get me on. Actually, oh, yeah. But I can't remember what he said about food. I don't think I can have. Um, solids immediately. Uh, and also I need to eat little but often, if that makes sense. So I can't have a yeah. big full meal like a uh, a roast or a curry or whatever. It's got to be little and often. Little and often. Okay. And then, yeah, that point, after, I mean, it, it, it's a it's a moving goalpost all the time. Uh, but sure. after, after the time I leave, the, they will get me to a point where I can walk, uh, get up the stairs, and that's the purpose of the physiotherapist to get me mobile. Um, so they won't let me leave the hospital in an unmobile state. Um, so that will take however long it takes, really. After that, I'll be at home. I'll be recovering for three whole months before restarting the chemotherapy sessions. Right. And then it's that will be starting to be the path home, I guess, or the path out of out of it really the final dose of chemo that's just to kill off any remaining cancerous cells that might yeah. have been missed. still be there yeah yeah because obviously the liver can spread it but obviously signs are good that it hasn't done that so it yeah. is just a, it is precautionary at this point but you might as well, well do it the chemo exactly exactly yeah he might as well yeah. do it because you're gonna it'll give you uh a greater chance of living a longer period of time really yeah okay so that concludes the second episode of the metallic taste podcast in the third episode we're going to be talking about chemotherapy and rich's experiences with chemotherapy including some tips and tricks about what to eat and ultimately what can help you with the metallic taste which is the reason and the title for this podcast so we're going to cover that all off in the third episode. We hope you've enjoyed this episode and we'll be back soon.